welcome to another episode of the Playlist Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Mike D'Angelo. On this episode, one of our contributors, Sharonda Williams, got to sit down with director Janixa Bravo to talk about the film Zola, which is available right now on VOD. Check it out. It is great. During the conversation, they got to chat about the Sundance experience, uh, the lengthy delay to releasing the movie due to COVID. They also chat about treating the true story more like an absurd, magical adaptation, consciously removing some elements of the story and working on a new mystery pilot for an unnamed network. I'll let you hear every bit of that conversation in a minute, but before we get to that chat, I've got to tell you that the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes Be Real, Deep Focus, The Fourth Wall, and more. can be heard on iTunes, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. And uh, follow us on iTunes, and you'll get this podcast as well as other shows regularly. Be sure to subscribe and drop us a comment or a rating. And as always, thank you for listening. Now, without further delay, our chat with the wonderfully talented Janixa Bravo. Look, we have so much to talk about. Okay, I can't wait. I wanted to talk to the world about this movie. It's been like a, how long has it been since Sundance? Because I saw it at Sundance. I was, you I did? At, yeah, I was at the premiere. Got my entire life. Like, I can't wait to tell everyone about this. And then Miss Rona just had to come in. It's been 17 months. That is crazy. It's rude is what it is. It's very disrespectful. Highly like who, who asked for that? You know, that's one of the first things I want to ask you because after thinking about it, I was like, man, this really sucks. I want to see this movie. I want everyone else to experience this. But it almost feels as though that it is the right time for it to come out. I know that sounds so cliche. I hate when people say that. But after everything that we went through, and especially that our community went through, Throughout the course of the pandemic, I just feel like this is the movie that we need just to really reset and just enjoy life. So can you talk about that experience going from this awesome premiere at Sundance and now having Ms. Brona shut us down and now we're back in action for Zelda? I really thought, and I think a lot of people felt like this, that 2020 was my year. I was like, yes, it's coming. We've got it. We did it. I worked this hard. Now I'm going to get this. Like I had put in my time. I put in my sweat. I put in my blood. I put in my tears. Like, And, and it really felt like something about that year, something about last year, that all of that work was finally going to get to come to fruition. And I don't know what that means, obviously, because I'm not a gypsy or a tarot card reader, but... It looked like some sense of having arrived. And that's just not what it was, though. As you know, you were there, you felt it. But like Sundance was such a, it was such a high. And I am so mad at myself. I beat myself up because I didn't enjoy it. Really? I did not give myself the room to enjoy it. No, because I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm playing in the arc, right? So if that's the beginning, I just, I wanted to be responsible and take care of, it was, it was a job also. Sundance is a job. Like yeah. it's not a party. It's a party for someone. It's not a party for me. Right? Like I, you have to be really present and alert and you are having the same conversation over and over again. And there is some, so that it doesn't feel robotic. You kind of need to be really present. And I didn't allow myself pleasure because I thought it was going to come later. And so I was pacing myself, but knowing that that was really the last time I got to have that was really crazy making, especially when the year was the year that it was, it was particularly crazy making. And I was mad at myself and I had a lot of regret and, you know, I mourned a lot last year. I was really sad that the movie didn't get to come out and didn't get to have the moment I thought it was going to have. And I got to see a lot of my peers and my friends release their movies, it, not in the ideal circumstances, of course, but they nevertheless got to release their movies. And I felt very 
envious of that because I didn't get to have that. And it felt a bit like I was carrying, like I was, you know, still pregnant or, or still dragging this like tumor and, and that it wasn't going to get to leave my body. But I did feel like the movie was supposed to come out last summer. I think our premiere last year had been softly slated for July 3rd. And I, my thought was that if it didn't get to come out last summer, I didn't see a version of it coming out in the fall. You know, we had the conversations, we talked about it coming out in September, October, November, December. But like once we're like in the fall, I also just felt like people were so tired being inside watching movies in the same way. You know, it just felt a little bit depressing. You know, but it's it's interesting that you say you regret not actually living that experience because I think that's something that we always struggle with. We're always trying to chase this. There, there has to be a bigger and better experience that's coming. How is going through that, how has that taught you to really be in the moment and, and live in that moment? I mean, uh, I was just having this conversation earlier that like before we came out of this moment before, because I we're, we're not on the other side yet, but we're coming out, right? We're yeah. thought, we're, we're thought out and we're lying out. Two or three months ago, I was thinking, Janixa in three or four months, wow, lessons. Like she's got a bag full of lessons and she's just going to use them in her everyday life. And then we had our first screening of the movie last Thursday, the first screenings in Sundance. And some, mm-hmm. something, one of the lessons I thought I had learned was one in which I felt comfortable saying that I didn't want something. And the thing I, I was like, I don't want to be touched by strangers. I like, just don't want that. Or honestly, I don't really want to be touched by anybody unless I'm initiating it. Right. I don't want touching. And I was like, this is the lesson I've learned. I arrive at the street, the amount of people that touch me. And I just was like, okay, okay. And I was like, well, where's that lesson? It's gone. It has is nowhere. I thought I totally was like, I'm ready. I'm ready. I have my boundaries. They're clear. I know what they are. And I just let them go. I let them go as soon as somebody looked at me with like a little bit of a sad eye and was like leaning their head and coming in for a hug. And then I was like, guess we're hugging person. I don't know whose name I can't recall. You know, it's hard to set. It's one thing setting boundaries for yourself, but then it's like another thing actually trying to follow through. You get hurt, you're like, damn, I just did everything that I said I wasn't about to do. What is going on? Even just like getting petty about shit, you know, like where I'm like, no, I just appreciate so much and I'm rooting for everyone. I'm not going to get petty. Cut to why this, why that? I can't. And I'm just like, but I can see it. I can see it. I can see myself doing it. And maybe, maybe these are lifelong lessons, right? And maybe, maybe the moment is more at least being aware or acknowledging that which you want to work on or that which you want to change about yourself. And like, it's okay if you didn't fix it in the last 365 plus days. Look, I said I wanted to fit in jeans before it was time to go outside. That didn't happen for me, so. But that you have to remind yourself it's a continuous lesson, right? It's not something that's, okay, I went through this moment and it's done and I'm a better person for it. No, you have to keep reminding yourself. We all fall back into those cycles. You have to know that it's a work in progress. You're always a work in progress or we should Absolutely. always be a work in progress. So don't worry about it. You got more premieres. Thank more you. Premieres. Okay. I got more time to not hug people is what you're saying. Look, everyone thought I was, I was crazy during the pandemic. I had the gloves. I was like, do you need sanitizer? Go wash your hands. Wear your, I'm going to wear my mask. If you don't want to, I'm going to wear a mask. I am very attracted to that energy. Everyone thought I was crazy, but guess what? I was the only one just doing well in my house. <laughs> but I, I want to talk. 
talk about this journey with Zola because one of the first things that while I'm watching this film and I just rewatched it for the first time since Sundance, I love that this is done through the- Did you watch it with someone or did you watch it alone? I need to watch it, but you know, I feel blessed to have the experience to watch it with all of my- film critic friends at Sundance, but to watch it by myself, you just see different things. I, I like watching stuff by myself. I feel like sometimes people distract me and it's yeah. away from my experience. So I had a good time watching. I was just like, oh, I remember it all. Like, this is the joy that I felt at Sundance. Yay. I love that this is done through the female gaze because when I remember reading the Twitter thread, um, was it 05? I remember reading it when it, whenever 15, it started. 2015. 15, 15. Why did I try to age myself? Like I know, it's like, oh, 05, why are you doing that to us? Oh, 05, that's so rude. Right? Why, why are you trying to play us like this? Oh, 05. didn't even come out until like, oh, nine. Get it together. I was a sophomore in college, so I don't know what you're talking about. I actually wasn't a sophomore in college. I graduated from college in 2003, and I also didn't understand time for one second. Look, it's the food, <laughs> it's the food deprivation right now, okay? It's the food deprivation. It just makes you forget what year Twitter even existed. But I remember reading this, and it was just this crazy story, and I was just like, I cannot believe I just sat and like read all of this. And when I heard that they were going to be turning this into a film, I was worried because I didn't want it to lose the essence of, you know, Zola's voice. Because a lot of times our stories, especially Black women's stories, they get taken in and it's really stripped of our voice. And so I really want you to speak about the importance of keeping Zola's story intact, but most importantly, keeping it in that that female point of view that I enjoy while I was watching. Yeah, I mean, it was it was conscious, but it also wasn't. And by that, I mean, I knew early on the best version of this movie is one that included the real Zola. So when I say it was conscious and it wasn't, I mean, like, that just seemed like a no-brainer to me, right? I don't, the, there's maybe some degree of politic being exercised there, but I just knew were my story, I would want to be included and I would want to be protected. So I felt, I tend to do this thing where with certain characters and maybe a version of all the characters, I start to feel as though I, they, they become me, I am them. Like we're all in the same house, we're, we're in community. And so there is a degree of wanting to protect myself, protect the thing, protect her. Like all, all of it is protecting me, right? I, I didn't know, I didn't see a version of the movie that didn't include her. And then regarding gays, female gays, I'll go back to the thing of saying it's conscious and unconscious in that it's just, it just is, right? I'm just living with it as are you. And, and then there's also race clearly, right? But again, it's just because that's a part of my everyday. Right. I'm sometimes asked this question of like, why was I right for the project? And I think sometimes when people are asking, they're asking, are you right because you're black and a woman? And it's like, yeah, sure, of course. But I'm also right for it because of the way that I see the world and how I see the world is definitely informed by who I am in my physical body. No, I, I love that. And in how we see the world is one thing because this film does talk about sex work. And a lot of how other people see sex work is not in a positive light. 
And I really want to talk about the importance of actually showcasing these women who are sex workers, but it's not necessarily just about the work that they do. You get to see the full version of themselves. And I wanted you to speak about the importance of showing that on screen in such a respectful way. You know, I just, it's all the source material. It's really, I appreciate the compliment in that I know, I mean, of course, I have something to do with it, but I was mirroring what Asia, the real Zola, created. And there was so much respect and there was so much dignity. And when she is judgmental, she isn't judging the work. She's judging this individual, right? Like her relationship to her is about like, and it's not judging her choices. It's judging that she has invited her to these choices, right? And that seems so clear to me. And it wouldn't have been a movie that I would have made if the representation or perception of these women were anything but unsavory. Like I I respect them so much and respect the world so much. And I think that's made clear by like what they look like, what the film looks like, the world that we are inside of, even the fact that there's just, there's no female nudity in the movie, right? And that, that was one of those like hard and fast rules that was just there on the script, on the page. It was like day, a day one, we're not going to do that. I'm not interested in that. There is already a pretty sizable vocabulary of images of women who are naked or in these like subservient dynamics in sex, right? Like I was thinking about and this is the first time I'm saying this, so it might sound dumb, but like I was talking about this, that photographer Helmut Newton recently, a friend of mine who's a photographer was like, I don't really like his work that much. And I was getting into why he didn't like it. And, and, and I was like, well, what I love about it, it features a lot of women in, in dis, in they're disrobed, right? Lots of like, my tits are out and my crotch is out and my ass is out, but it never felt fucked up. Like it wasn't like Terry Richardson who used to photograph for American Apparel where it always felt a little bit like something was wrong, right? Or like that the person being photographed wasn't in on it. Right. And the thing that was so beautiful to me about Helmut Newton's work, which I think speaks to what I hope to do here, was that there seemed to be something mutual. There had been a mutual respect, right? There was consent. I think the word I'm looking for is consent. And I think you feel that through the film. Even in showing the men, there is consent. I am not doing anything that wasn't, there wasn't permission to do and there wasn't like great conversation leading up to it. Yeah. You know, I've definitely picked up on the fact that there is no female nudity in the film. But most importantly, all of the viewpoints is what they are experiencing and not necessarily us looking down on them. You know, even in situations when they weren't in control, you still hone into what they were actually feeling instead of the act that is actually happening to them, which is something that I really appreciated while watching. I want to talk about this casting because... Um, in my two different watches, I, I appreciated the cast in different ways and different people stood out to me. And I want to know what was that experience like of actually not only casting the leads, but even casting some of these secondary roles that play such a huge part into the overall story? Well, I want to know who, I'm so curious what your experience was from the first to the second watch regarding the cast. Okay, so I... So I was so fixated on Taylor in the first one, in the first watch of the film. But it's not until the second watch, literally when I finished, I was like, why is Coleman so damn good at acting? Why why did he eat this damn roll up like this? He ate it up. And so it's weird. It's it's like, I I think because I'm so focused on the main story, but then the second time around, it's just like, 
those little things of when he switches into his accent, like just switches like that, it changes the entire dynamic of the film. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a great all around talent, talented cast, but it was just, I was like, this is some good casting here. Like, come on now, tell, tell me about it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, Taylor was the first person cast and we met, I'd seen over 700 girls before mm-hmm. Taylor walked in and I just fell in love with her immediately. You know, my gut, I saw her tape and was like, oh, it's her. We found her. And there were more tapes to watch. The casting director was like, well, there are more tapes. You should do your due diligence. And I was like, okay, fine. But this is, it's her. Coleman was the second person we cast. He didn't, he didn't audition. It, he, we offered it to him. And I just felt like he was so damn charming. And that's my favorite bad guy. My favorite bad guy is somebody that I want to hang out with, even though I'm maybe totally terrified of them, right? And and I think he, both he and Riley are really great villains, actually, because there's something really wrong with both of them, but you're also kind of having fun with them, even though there's something very wrong with them, right? Like they're broken, but they're fun. But that, I think that's what made Coleman so scary is because he's like, oh, we're having a good time. He has this swag, this charisma to him. And in a split second, just the tone of his voice can just literally Dark. make you so afraid. Like, yeah, I'm not going to mess with it. I already know you You ain't no good. I'm not messing with you not one bit. But it's those are scary people. It's kind of like growing up. You know, your mom could be the sweetest person and they just say something crazy. You'd be like, who are you? It's like funny you say that. I actually, we're doing this scene and I was telling Coleman, I was like, this scene is a scene for my mother. It's a scene where he takes his belt off. I was like, this is the scene that reminds me of my mother. And it was Coleman's idea. I had mentioned that I was like, this, this, who he is before this scene and then during this scene and then after this scene is truly like my mother who is many things at once. Um, and... And then when we were in it, he was like, oh, I'm going to take my belt off. And I was like, yes, that's my mother. See, our mamas, they they still come back to us. <laughs> it always leaves, it always, the roads always lead back to mama. Just saying. Yep, that's right. But also too, I, I was worried as well with, um, with Riley's character. Because of the vernacular that she has throughout the course of the film, how do you balance that without necessarily turning off a certain demographic? Um, because it's like you believe that this is who she is. This is how she would speak. So I want you to speak more about that. Absolutely. I mean, some of that's on the page. Jeremy O'Harris, my co-writer, and I had this idea for this character. Some of that idea for me was, you're talking about the portion of the audience that's going to be turned off by that character. And with that, I'm also thinking of the portion of the audience that is going to show up and not believe Zola. From the first frame, they're not going to believe her. And so when constructing Riley, a white character, a white female character, I knew that there was an inherent sensitivity that we're going into the film with. You know, I, I've, I've done some version of this line before, but I think like nobody has better PR than like whiteness, right? Like whiteness truly has the best publicity. And so I, the, the thought around that voice was that we basically needed to start her at a demerit. Because if you start her at a demerit, Taylor in all of her goodness and all of her tenderness is somehow still at the same level. The starting line is the same, even though I do not believe that. And I'm sure you don't believe that. But there is a large portion of the audience, consciously or unconsciously, there are also Black people who will show up and not buy it, right? Like, it is not just white people that won't buy it. We have 
as a world and as a culture, we have decided that believing women is really hard and believing black women is especially hard. So when you're putting a black woman next to a white woman and you're asking the audience to believe her, their brains can't handle that, right? Like their brains are like, well, I mean, I don't, you know, like something is happening in their conscious and their unconscious. So like a part of the choice to put right, to basically bamboozle Riley to make her a minstrel was to set her what in my mind is many steps back, but for a lot of the audience, when they arrive, they're going to be at the same start line. Does that make sense? Look, I have I've paused you. I've paused you, and I'm feeling very good about that. Yes, you should feel good about it. I, I had to take a moment and just let me receive that for a moment. Let me do that. <laughs> but on the topic of sensitivity- well, look, there's still fear that that won't work for everybody, right? My intention is clear or my intention is understood, but some of the audience might be made really uncomfortable by that. And some of the audience might wish that we had been able to tell that story differently. But the world of the whole movie is, you know, this is an adaptation of a story told through Twitter, right? I treated it like adaptation. And that is to say, it's not a biopic for me. And I injected it with a lot of like fantasy and a lot of magic and really like, it's it's also absurd and it's surreal and it's meant to be met with like, it's a radical thing. You know, it is like the movie is not taking place on the same planet that you and I are inhabiting. It is happening like right next to this planet. But I think what helps with that is the kind of the voiceover with um, Zola because she's re- acting at the same time as you're because when you're watching a film you're judging it you're judging the story you're judging what's happening to these characters so when you hear her in the voiceover I'm like girl right I was thinking the same thing like what is happening but I think that's what helps you understand that you're being transported into this other world into this crazy story but because all of the characters accept the flaws of all the people that they come in contact with I think it's easier for the audience to actually receive that yeah. I think that's what works for me of being like, okay, well, I mean, this makes sense. I mean, everyone just walking around like this is just normal life for them. So it's safe and easy for me to accept the characters for who they are and not to nitpick them apart necessarily. But speaking on the terms of the sensitivity, there are differences between the Twitter thread and what actually happens in the film. And I think that in the right moments, there are moments where things have been toned down, which is good because you don't want to always be triggered in a movie. Like you don't want to be triggered. I think I know what you're talking about. Yes. We're not going to pull it for no one, but we see each other right now. We see each other. I, you know what's funny is that um, men who I've talked to, some men, not all men, who've mentioned this, are like, why did you leave that scene out? And I'm like, what? Why do you want that? You watched that movie and didn't understand why I left that out? You watched the whole thing and didn't understand it? Mm-hmm. Hey, let's, let's just have a therapy session with you. <laughs> well, I'm just like, I don't know why you went in wanting that also. Like, you got to sit with yourself. Maybe you need a moment in the mirror to check in on where you're at. But I think it's because that we see situations like that play out so much in film and television that we've almost become desensitized to it. And that's why in that scene that I I love that there's this close-up because you feel the fear almost as if you're in that experience right then and there. And I feel like from, and I don't know if it's just because I'm a woman, why that hits harder for me than actually seeing the act. Because I think that is what desensitizes society of the things that happen to women all the time. So for me, it worked. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to that man. I don't know that man, but I'm sorry to him. I apologize that you feel that way. It worked for me. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I love hearing your story about how you became a director. Like you 
went from being a stylist to self-teaching yourself and working on short films. I want to know how has that made you a stronger director than someone who necessarily went to film school? We're not trying to throw no shade, but I'm just saying (laughs) the self-taught journey of pushing yourself and really helping you hone in into your experiences as a director now? Well, I went to theater school, so I did study directing. I just didn't study directing in film. And I think that that is made clear in my work. I think my work is very theatrical. I I am a theater director and I'm basically directing theater, but it's being filmed, right? There are close-ups and there is coverage where in theater you don't get to have that. Costume design is very important in my work. I think you would be able to tell that by this movie that the costumes are very considered. And the costumes in all my short films and in my last feature also very considered. I am very involved in that. My parents are tailors, so clothing has just always been an extension of the character to me. Directing the clothing is directing the actors, directing the clothing, right? Like those things have to, there has to be harmony there for those things to unify because oftentimes, you know, you actually talk and write about movies, but a lot of our audience doesn't. And when they walk away from the film, what they're remembering oftentimes is the actor. And so if the actor connected to the clothing becomes a part of their memory, like it's important to cement those together. I started styling because I didn't want to wait tables and I didn't want to work retail. Both things I've done. I have worked retail. I have I have worked retail. I have I have been a waitress. Styling became an option for me because I went to NYU theater school. I knew a lot of film students and some of my film friends who went on to be directors right after college were getting their first music videos and they needed a stylist and they didn't know anybody. And lucky for me, they weren't doing like their homework. So I was just standing there wearing a pretty decent outfit and they were like, can you do this? And I didn't know what it was. And I learned, I mean, I learned how to be a stylist while I was styling. I was like, wow. oh, options. Okay. Um, I just understand how this works. And it gave me a chance to be on set more. I didn't plan to move into film necessarily in the way that I I have. I wanted to do film. I wanted to do television. How I had imagined it when I was younger is that I would be always a theater director and I would sometimes be a film director and sometimes be a TV director. And now it's the other way and I don't even direct theater anymore and I miss it terribly and I'm sad about that. And I just am like, have been totally like sucked into film and, and television and, and I don't know where a play will happen for me, but I hope so because I really do miss that space. We're going to claim that it's going to happen. You just, you got to make time. <laughs> Remember work in progress. You got to make sure that you're reaching towards everything you want to do. That's right. Is I this mean, therapy? Look, I treat all, every time I do an interview, I'll be like, we're going to therapy today. We're <laughs> That's what I love about doing this. You learn so much from other people's experiences, their journeys, and you don't feel so alone. You feel like, okay, like everybody else is going through these like you kind of midlife crisis, many midlife crises together. So I'm just here for it. <laughs> I want to know what is, you know, what is your hope for this time around? This is kind of like, this is the the second chance now after everything that's happened in the past year and a half. Like, what is your hope for Zola, for the audiences watching it, for you ex- having this experience um, that was kind of postponed for a long time? What is your hope for it after Zola comes out or even the process now leading up to it? I hope that for me, I can only really speak for myself and not for the, you know, the ticket buyers or the buyers of premium video on demand. I hope that I am able to take pleasure in the achievement. And I am hoping that I will allow myself to feel proud of myself. 
I love that. That is so hard. I don't know why it's so hard for us to celebrate everyone else's successes, to celebrate the good times. And then for us, it's kind of like, oh yeah, like, I don't, I don't know if it's a, I don't want to get my hopes up that this is going to lead to even more bountiful blessings or a piece of that feeling as though maybe do I deserve this right now? Like, am I ready to receive this success right now? Um, So I think it's really beautiful that you said that because I just, I feel that all the time. That's the one when they say, I felt that in my spirit, I felt that in my spirit. Thank you so much. But I had so much fun talking to you. I had so much fun talking to you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm so happy that I finally get to talk to everyone about this film, <laughs> that we can experience it. Tell all your friends. Look, I'm going to tell my friends we rent out theaters. I mean, at the end of the day, like, why not? Let's just rent it oh. out. Have a good oh, my time. God. Going to, going to a theater in Atlanta and seeing it. Oh, it would be such a dream. When I first saw it at Sundance, I was just like, I really hope they come to Atlanta and do some type of fun screening because I need it. I feel like this is the place, like just to have a good time. This is so Atlanta. This is such an Atlanta movie, even though it takes place there. But yeah, no, I'm so happy for you. What do you, I mean, you. What do you have coming up next? Oh my gosh, it's so funny. Before I was late to talking to you because I'm working on this project, this television show pilot that I'm not allowed to talk about. And I was saying that to the showrunner. I was like, I can't, everyone keeps asking what I'm working on next and I don't get to talk about this show. And he was like, well, why can't you? And I'm like, because I'm not supposed to. He, it's, it's his first time show running, so he doesn't know. I was like, I'm not allowed to until the network says I'm allowed to, but I'm very excited about it. Also, I think, you know, you don't talk about that stuff because sometimes it doesn't go anywhere. That too, but you know what? But if you don't talk about it, it never happens. And you don't, That's want to, true. you don't want to shortchange your experience that you had. That's true. For the future ones. So yeah. Thank you so much, Sharonda. It's Sharonda, right? It is. I Thank hope you. that I get to meet you in person one day. You will. you will. And then we're going to have another mini therapy session. Yes, I can't wait. I can't I wait. I won't try to hug you. I promise. Okay. <laughs> I'll have hand sanitizer for the both of us. Though. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I expect that. And I think it's okay for you to have boundaries. It's okay to have that. I'm trying. I'm I need really to trying. <laughs> okay. I know it's hard, but it, it's okay for you to be comfortable. Thank you. Thank you, Sharonda. I really appreciate it. You have a great day. You too. Sending you love and light. Good luck on your new project. Thank you so much. You have a lovely day too. Bye. Bye.